Welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Jake Lamore, and this episode is the first in a new series of many I hope to do with all the current mayors in Kankakee County. I thought it would be a uh, cool idea, or more importantly, an important idea, to get to know the mayor of the town you're currently living in, or maybe you're about to live in, here in Kankakee County. So first up on the list, I thought we'd start with the city that is the most populated in our county, city of Kankakee, uh, with Kankakee Mayor Chris Curtis. Now, however, before we get deep into deep into it with Mayor Curtis, we have a new segment here on the podcast we're going to start doing from time to time that we're calling KCC Success Stories. Now, these segments will feature Kankakee Community College alumni and staff sharing their stories of how KCC set them up for success. Now, the first story we're going to hear today is actually from one of our Kankakee podcast patrons, Jesse Arsenal. My name is Jesse Arsenault and I'm a video production specialist. So as a video production specialist, I produce videos um, for clients. Uh, typically it's for a corporation, an organization, non-for-profits. I specialize in medical and surgical video, which means a lot of times I'm going into operating rooms, I'm scrubbing in with the doctors and I place cameras over the field, uh, surgical field and we're shooting the surgeries and we're producing educational videos to train other doctors on how to do these very complex cases. I'm born and raised in Kankakee, Illinois. I grew up on Chicago Avenue in the historical district. Went to Kankakee Montessori until sixth grade, and then I went to Trinity Academy and graduated in 1999. And then I started KCC in the uh, winter of 2000. Growing up, me and my twin brother, we would make videos on camcorders and me and my brother always wanted to be in TV um, and uh, going to KCC was the fiscally responsible choice for us. We didn't have any scholarships and our parents weren't paying for college and so we paid for all of our school out of pocket. KCC was an affordable option for us and what's nice about KCC or any community college is you get this you know, you get these prerequisites, but you also get this broad view of a bunch of other things you could be doing. So if you don't know what you want to do, you can figure it out. So that's what I loved about KCC. So we were able to take the classes that we needed so that we could transfer to Illinois State University. And I had a great time at KCC. One of my favorite classes was public speaking and uh, interpersonal, interpersonal communication was another favorite class of mine. The other nice thing about KCC is that I got to meet a whole lot of people I wouldn't have met otherwise, and not just 
kids my age, but there's a big diversity of age there too. Uh, and so you're meeting people who are going back to school. And that's wonderful because you get to learn from their experiences and talk to them. It was a great experience. Uh, we got to learn a lot and we had all the support we needed. My daughter's a junior at Kinky High School and she, uh, there's, they have what's called an early college program there. And so the school pays for her to go to KCC. And so we don't pay a cent. So she just is smart enough to go to college and take dual credits. So she's earning her high school degree while she's going to KCC. But I've really, I love my career. I love making things. Um, I love being creative and helping execute a vision for a client. My higher education through ISU and starting at KCC is what kind of led me to the point where I am now. And I was able to graduate with hardly any debt that I paid off early and I wouldn't take it back. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. In fact, when I meet somebody who went to community college, I know that's like a wise person. Oh, okay, you went to, you went to community college. You must be a very wise person. It gets you a great start for not much money and it helps you make choices later on because now you have an associate's degree. So if you're transferring at least in state, most of the time they're gonna take your credits. And you've got this benchmark you can work from your associates. You can help create a KCC success story like the one you heard today by giving a gift to the Kankakee Community College Foundation. Give now at foundation.kcc.edu. And now it's time to meet the mayor of Kankakee, Chris Curtis. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate being here. Yeah, this is, you're uh, kind of exciting, actually. So. It is exciting, <laughs> and I'm very honored that you're here. And I know we had just briefly had a conversation months, uh, like a year ago, when, like when you first got into office. I think it was in the summertime or sometime last year. We were playing kickball together. Yes, you remember that? I do. And we did. I was like, you know, I'd love to have you on the podcast sometime. And I just wasn't sure at that time how I was going to work it in. But then I, like I said, I came up with this idea to do a series where people can just meet their mayor and, and learn about them, uh, about their life, where they come from, how they got started, what they know, all that fun stuff. So thank you for, you know, we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving. So I feel like that says just a lot about you and your character. Oh, I appreciate it. It's kind of exciting. This is a good day as we were just talking earlier. It's a uh... Day after Thanksgiving is one of those days where it's a little quiet, still a lot of things going on, but you can kind of do it at your pace on that day. And uh, so this is nice to take some time out and just have some fun with it. So I agree. So were you born in Kankakee? I was not. I was actually born in Lansing, Michigan in 1968, and I moved to Kankakee in 1984 officially, but my ties to the community started back in 1978. So my father um, was recruited here to run the original First Trust Bank to be their uh, senior vice president, and that brought our family this way. Um, my parents were divorced, and so it was one of those things, where do you live as a young schoolboy? <laughs> and you so, said yeah. 78? So Six, at, 68. Oh, six, here, yeah, you you were born in 68, but you so, moved here in... Oh, 78. Not, in seven. So, Your father. Father moved here in 78. 78. So you were 10 years old. 10 years old. Uh, lived with my mom, stayed there, went to school in Okemish, Michigan. That's where my ties to 
Michigan State uh, Spartans come into play, where I kind of a diehard fan because you had to be when you lived one mile from the campus. So, so. your parents were one parents in Michigan, one parents in Kankakee. Yeah. Then. Yep. And then uh, it was my sophomore year of high school. Just made the decision at that time that I wanted to move to Kankakee and stay with my father. Probably being a young male, kind of a we always had a good. Good rapport. My dad always would come in once a month and see me in Michigan. We talked weekly, but just it kind of got to be at that teenage years. It's like, you know, probably needed that uh, father figure there. And so chose to move here and Kinky has been home since 1984. So I now consider, uh, still have a lot of ties to Michigan. My mom still lives there. Still go back and visit quite a bit, but Kinky is now home. So So you probably, I'm guessing then, your father's the first one to live in Kankakee, right? In in your yeah. family. Yeah. So you're not attached to any of the other Curtis Curtises around then, are you? We have no relatives here in the community. Because so, I know that's yeah. probably something you get asked a lot because yeah. Curtis is a name that I've known for a long time in the area. And I'm probably thinking the Curtises that I knew weren't even related to you. None. We have no relations here except for immediate family. And uh, even now still, my two sisters, uh, two sisters live in Salt Lake City, another sister lives in Florida, mother lives in Michigan, stepmother lives in Indiana, so <laughs> still so I'm I'm still the last one here. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you stayed. Um cuz I I was thinking about that the other day as cuz I go like most people, I go down Curtis Avenue yep. all the time in Kankakee and it struck my mind. I'm like, "Hmm, Curtis." I was like, "I wonder if he has anything to do with that." Um, um, but obviously not. So. Zero association, <laughs> just uh Ahead of the game of having a street named after you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because I'm sure that's one thing that crosses people's minds that they might not know your background and they're thinking, oh, well, you know, his family has probably had a leg up on this city since the the day the city was established, you yeah. know, back in 1853. Yeah. Nope. You know. uh, 1978. So then 1984, you were what? Just turned 16. So then you started uh, going to Kankakee High School then at that point? No, I actually went to... Oh, you went to Bishop Mac. Went to Bishop McNamara. I actually wanted to go to Kankakee High School. I had come from a very large public school in Michigan. Um, It had well over uh, 3,500 students. Oh, wow. So it was a big school, very flexible and laid back. You could leave for lunches, get in your car, go places, do different things. And uh, so I came here, and my dad says, we're going to have you go to school at uh, Bishop McNamara. And I I was against it. I was— uh, Do I you don't have a wanna... Catholic? Is your family Catholic or— uh, We're Christian, not Catholic. Okay. So at the time, Methodist. I'm Lutheran now. But they just—that was a direction my dad wanted me to go, and I was the college just, prep. And I said, no, I just—I want to go to a public school. And now hindsight's 2020. I'm actually very proud that I went to Bishop McNamara High School. It worked out really well, especially with— um, you know, I was a runner that came in, and they had a very good running program under Ken Clip, and so I was very excited that that structure I was pushed because that did put some uh, lasting, we'll call it notches, into my lifestyle moving forward. Uh, that would have been the, the in his early Ken Clip's early days coming to Bishop McNamara yeah. too. Yeah, he'd started off in Mantino, and I think he'd been there probably two or three years when I got there. So that was. Uh, before he started taking all those teams to state and kind of becoming the legend in the area that he was. But uh, so. What are your memories when you first were being coached by Ken Clip and, and cross country? His humor. 
in all seriousness. I mean, Ken has got that, uh, Ken, I, I still call him coach, but yeah. he's got that dry sense of humor. And, and I some laugh. Some of his jokes are so bad, but they're so funny because they're so bad. Exactly. And he looks at you and goes, what, nothing? You know? and, so, and he's still got it to this day. So his humor and then what I really liked was um, – Again, at that time, I think I was looking for that father figure on a daily basis, and my dad was every bit of that. But it was also, I look back, you know. Uh, You're Coach a teenager. Clip, yeah, Coach I mean. Clip was a mentor. I, I was a little, um, being mayor now, you think of it being a little straight-laced and uh, very total line and everything, but I was a little bit of a rebel rouser growing up. Um, and so it was good for him to provide some structure, not only in the after-school activities, but also school and then along with my father at home so so this must have been the time because i i did some research and i heard that you had long hair yes and you were into heavy metal so absolutely it must, have, <laughs> it must be uh maybe this time at this time you were you know i uh i joked when covid came along uh you know couldn't get a haircut and everything and i was like is this the opportunity to bring the long hair back yes i still do it um yeah no i my uh, late high school years started it, and through college had long hair down to about the middle of my back, and um, I still like what I call 80s heavy metal, hard rock, and uh, was listening to it on the way over here. So, <laughs> what were you listening to on the way here? Which which are uh, actually which song uh, it was it was just it was a Sirius XM, but it happened okay. to be a White Snake was on the radio of and course. David Lee Roth. So those were the two songs on the way over here. So <laughs> so that was getting you all pumped up. Exactly. No wonder why you just you were like raring to go when when we walked in here. So yeah. that must have been what's what's setting you up. Yeah. So I just imagine so to to like really get some some steam off of your chest, I just picture you putting on a long-haired wig and then just going into your office and turning on your stereo and just blasting heavy metal music and just dancing around crazily trying to get pumped up for something. I would say the music. I don't think the dancing around. and the, <laughs> No, but I still, um, I, I, I make no, I like a lot of music, but uh, I, that's still my choice of 1981 through 1989 music i'm still my choice how did you get hooked on metal you know friends really uh i had a good friend uh brian white who i went to school with who played guitar and was into ozzy osbourne and some stuff like that (laughs) did you uh, ever play yourself i never did i played drums when i was little but i didn't have much rhythm and i still don't (laughs) so (laughs) that's why you don't catch me on the dance floor at weddings too often so i'll I'll tap the toe to the music but uh yeah um and then i had a good friend uh by name of dave emmons he was a runner on the cross-country team that i hooked up with and he was a a drummer and kind of got me into that music so friends kind of uh swayed me that way and it's it's stuck with me so so when you were doing cross-country in high school at, at Bishop Mack, what else were you interested in? What What did you think you were going to do when you graduated? So, did you have any idea at that point? Yeah, I actually did. So basically all I did was I ran. I ran a lot in high school. I uh, loved that I started running when I was like eight years old. But um, I got into an architectural program at the school uh, high school I was at in Michigan. And so that's what I wanted to be was an architect. And that's what led me to uh, college at Southern Illinois University was to get a degree in architecture, which I did, and I've never used it. So it's kind of interesting. <laughs> but it's, I hear it's that story <laughs> so often. Yeah. But so, I mean, I suppose you use it in other ways, I, maybe not directly, right? You, no. it's more or less using your ex, your college experience or your college knowledge and put it towards yeah. other things. I believe everything happens for a purpose, and I don't know. 
at the time I wanted to be an architect. And so what's everybody want to be when they're young? You want to be Mike Brady, right? You're going to be drawing these grand buildings and, you know, building them. Um, the reality is architects don't do that. Architects um, sit at a desk all day long in a corner, draft details or stair treads and different things. And if, if you're the owner of your own firm, you get to design that that grand building. But even then, there's a budget constraint that somebody's going to build with it. So, you know, in college, they teach you, you know, use marble floors and all this extra things. And well, the reality is, is when you build a building, it's got to fit a budget. And sometimes it's tough to build the the tall skyscraper. That doesn't happen for too many. So, but I do use a lot in real estate. I'm able to look into, I'm always careful and say, get a, an opinion from an engineer or a, a, uh, an architect, but you know, what's a load bearing wall? Can something be expanded? Even drawing some, I can still do some drawings and understand maybe how to add on an addition and give a cocktail napkin sketch of what needs to be done. And so I still use it and it's, it's good. So when, when it comes to architecture, I mean, I guess you, you did touch on this a little bit about as far as, you know, you think you're going to sketch these grand uh, buildings or these, you know, skyscrapers and things like that. But what's something else people, a lot of people don't realize with architecture? It's the history that is cool about architecture. Because if you look at, look at some of the grand things that we have here in Kinky, look at the courthouse or look at uh, some of the older buildings there, you can't build those anymore. I mean, they've, they've got the limestone and the, and the different, we'll call it, you know, little things like maybe a gargoyle that sits up on the top third level of the building or. Is it because of the cost? It's cost in today's regulations? No, it's, it's, it's cost. So. How do you build a, an entire masonry building? That's very expensive to do. It's kind of like a house. Look at a house. So somebody wants a, what's an ideal house? Brick on all four sides, two, st- two stories up, okay? That's very expensive. It's not cost effective. So most people put a little scattering of brick on the front areas and the, the th- other three sides are some hardy board or aluminum siding or I should say vinyl siding. Vinyl these siding days. nowadays. Vinyl siding yeah. these days. But, you know, it's, it's cost. And then also it's time. I mean, time is money. Buildings that were built in 1898 or 1923 took two years to build, and now people want to get buildings up and constructed in six to eight months. There's still a lot of things that can be designed, but the reality is it comes down to a budget, and it's just, it's very difficult to be using those kind of materials anymore. So So in college, you graduated with degree in architecture, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, did you actually get a job in architecture to, to see how it went? Did you end up being one of those guys at uh, one of those firms? I never got a job. In fact, it's how I ended up in real estate. Uh, 1991, I graduated from college. Uh, that was a, I'll call it a smaller recession time. Maybe something we're seeing like right now. As I was, I got down to three jobs where I was a final two people. At that point, there was no new construction really going on. It was really pulled back. So about 40% of the architects were being laid off or the draft persons. And as I got to those final three jobs, they were, they hired the person that had experience that had that five to eight to 10 years experience. And their comment was, is we were very impressed with everything, but it's a lot easier to pay that person a little bit more money and just let them go to work right away than train you for the next year or two to be the architect that we need you to be. It's going to cost more. Yeah. So um, after about six months of trying to find a job and kind of losing out three different times, my father was on a plane to Texas with another mentor of mine. That was Tony Perry at the time. And he said, my son's looking for a job. And I'll never forget this from my dad. My dad said, 
You need to get up and find a job. I said, I'm looking. He said, no, there's a difference. You're looking for a career. You need to get up and get a job while you're looking for a career. You're not going to sleep all day. So that always resonated with me. So Tony had mentioned, he says, you know, we got some uh, warehouses that need painting. Have him come by. It's flexible. He'll start painting and we'll uh, go from there and see if, uh, if he needs time off to go for an interview, he can get off and it'll be no problem. So I show up in a golf collared shirt and pair of shorts thinking I'm going to paint like an office or something. And uh, Tony says, oh, no, no, come on over here. And he puts me in this 200,000 square foot warehouse, puts me in a big white jumpsuit, big spray thing, goggles, um, air mask and everything. He says, I just start painting this, all of this entire warehouse. Do you and remember what warehouse it was? Was it, it here was. locally? It was. It was over on Bradley and North Street. It was the area jobs warehouse there, uh, the old uh, Bradley implement. Okay. Right off of North Street by Security Lumber there. Yeah. It was that warehouse that I started painting. Okay. Um, marshmallow Yellow. And to this day, I won't paint anything marshmallow yellow because I am. That is a color that I'm not into. So you can only deal with so many gallons of marshmallow yellow. So, um, and I still think it's that color inside. I bet if you go look in there, you know, yeah, it probably is. Probably because no one wanted to paint that again. And so I was doing that, and after about another six months of doing that and not finding a job in architecture, Tony said, you know. Have you ever thought about real estate? He says, you show up every day, no matter what. And if you go get a license, uh, talk to me. So I went and took me about three weeks, went and got my real estate license. And that was, again, 1991. I think I got my license officially in winter of 92. Started real estate with Tony Perry and been doing it ever since. And in hindsight, I'm kind of glad because I don't think I could have sat at a desk and just drawn in a quarter for eight hours a day. I'm, I'm a people person. I like being out and about. And that's being a salesman is just that. You got to go places. You got to go talk to people. So again, I think I would have been a little, I don't want to use the word miserable, but I don't know if I would have been the happiest being an architect. Yeah, and, you probably yeah. would have had to commute. If you weren't getting a job around here, you would have had to relocate somewhere. I probably would end up living yeah. somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's only yeah. so many architecture jobs in Chicago, yeah. right? So, the, so, <laughs> so the Curtis legacy would have disappeared in Kankakee if I had become an architect. So <laughs> It would have. So working for Tony Perry, now Perry was, he was mainly in industrial, commercial, right? That, yep. And that, so that's what you have always done. Then, yep. Right? Yeah. So I've, I've sold a few houses, but I've always really enjoyed doing the warehouses, the office buildings, the retail strip centers. And so that's all I've done is commercial real estate. The difference between doing commercial and industrial and then doing like obviously housing real estate, the difference is obvious as far as, okay, this is an industrial building, this is a house. But besides that, are they really that different from one another? Are the principles still about the same? So the overall real estate principles are the same. There's only one license. You get a license, you can sell a house, or you can sell commercial real estate. It's not separated. So That's uh, shocking. Yeah. I did not know that. So anyone that has a real estate license in Illinois, you can be You can housing. sell anything? Yeah. I could go sell a house today. They could go sell a warehouse, a residential realtor. But you usually try to specialize in what your niche is. Is that um, because when you are going through, because you have to take classes, right? Mm-hmm. Or you have to take a test. Yep. Do they go over all those different types of structures? To be honest, most of it's geared towards residential. And the commercial is you kind of learn on who you go to work for. And that's where I learned it from. But the basic principle of buying a facility and closing on it and getting a loan and everything is very similar. The difference is, is what I say is residential is very emotional and commercial real estate is very analytical. And so that's 
probably the difference I see between. I've, I've gone in and sold a house before and somebody will walk around for an hour and, you know, I don't know if I like the color and my mindset is paint it. You know, I don't know if I like the flooring. Well, then change the carpet, you know, yeah. and it's, so it's very emotional. You go to sell it. Sometimes it's very emotional. Somebody's lived in that house for 50 years and they sell it and they don't know they want to sell it. It's their, their life has grown up in that facility. Commercial is very analytical. You can walk into a building. I, a lot of times our showings last three minutes. They'll walk in, they'll look at it and say, the ceilings, I needed 21 foot ceilings. This is only 18. We're done. Move on. Move on. <laughs> yeah. This has only got four docks. I need eight. Let's move on. You don't care about color of the building. They'll paint it. And there's very little motion to it at all. It's a business transaction. Can this facility make me money for my bottom line of my business? It's too small. I need to outgrow it, sell it, lease it, move on. I have no emotional ties to it. So those are the difference between the residential and the commercial. I just, I kind of like the, uh, the more the analytical part of it. And I also enjoy, uh, I don't know, so there's something about industrial warehousing I love. I love going into buildings where there's rail spurs coming into it and there's a little bit of grit and grime on the walls and they're producing something. I, I like that. When you think of back on starting to work for Perry, what were some of those things that he taught you that you have carried with you to this day? You know, I, it's, it's interesting. So there's some things you've taken with you. So, um, and, I, and this is no disrespect. I'm still very close <laughs> to the Perry family. Tony was a very fiery and emotional gentleman. He was Italian and he, he, he lived Italian. You know, <laughs> I, I sit there and say is uh, when he was angry, he was angry. So I learned, I saw that side of it. And I also, I think I learned from that a little bit of being the more calm, collected, analyze what could be the next steps if you go this direction, you go that direction. So uh, and I think it's a good character trait that I, I inherited. I inherited it because I didn't, I saw the other fiery side that worked <laughs> him for him, but I didn't think it was going to work for me. But really what he taught me was networking and he did have a heart of gold. And why he got a lot of credit, he got a lot of uh, publicity. There's a lot of things he did that people just didn't know about. And that's where I was excited. We would, um, it could be something as simple as somebody maybe was a little bit behind on their rent and they'd come in and, you know, I, I know you got this Christmas and April program, Mr. Perry, but can you help me with this? And he was a guy that would sit there and say, here, go get your rent caught up and never ask for any fame or any accolades about that. Did a lot of things of fixing up people's homes in the area. Did a lot of things with helping people find some jobs. You know, hey, I just I just need to find a job. Well, come with me. I'm going to go introduce you to this company over here. We're going to try and get you in here. So he had a heart of gold that you always don't need to get credit for it. If you just do it, people will find out eventually. Maybe it's two minutes later. Maybe it's 20 years later, but they do find out. So he taught me a lot of that of just try to help people. Try not to make a big deal about it. The accolades and all will come eventually from other people that see what you're doing. And then his networking, he was a tireless, tirelessly networked. Um, and that's one thing that I've tried to do in everything is uh, I, he was a salesman at heart. He went to you. So he didn't, he never had that thing. You got to come to my office, sit in my desk, do this. He was like, no, you're, you're here. I'm going to come see you. You're the client. I'm chasing you. I'm trying to sell you. And he was always about going to every single function. And his goal was meet one or two people at that function and come away and just expand your network. And so always tried to do that wherever you go. It's, it's intimidating at first, but it gets easier like everything in life. It's like giving your first speech in high school or something or speech class. And uh, it's yeah, now you're doing them all the time as mayor. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, But that's, I think those are the two biggest things I took away from him. 
you started work for working for Perry in 92. Mm-hmm. And then how long did you work for... Is, Perry, real is are they even around anymore? Is that the, when Nugent? Because now it's you have Nugent Curtis. Correct. Uh, did that come from? So um, at that point, Tony's son Joe Perry had a Perry Group, and that was um, actively expanding. He went to an office in downtown Chicago, had an office in Frankfurt, and was going more of an outlying area. Why still doing Kankakee in two thousand? Eight, I kind of, I thought had a midlife crisis, we'll call it. I thought I probably needed to buy a Porsche. No, <laughs> no I, uh, I wasn't, you know, it was funny. I wasn't the happiest at the time and I wasn't sure why, because I, I just. Cause you were still working for Perry. I was at and, that point. And I would get okay. up every morning and by 10 o'clock I was just deflated. I just, uh, I don't know what to, you know. And I, I, I looked in the mirror and said, well, I shouldn't be. I've, I've got a great home life. I've got a great wife. I got two healthy kids. Um. Life is pretty good, but I'm just kind of blah. So I thought I was tired of real estate. So I just said, I'm going to leave real estate. And so I left the Perry Group and wasn't quite 100% sure what I was going to do, but I uh, didn't know if I'd stay in real estate. That was an option. Looked at some other things. What did you look into? What, was, uh, what were take, some things you were yeah, considering? Yeah, I'd, I'd I was reached out by a financial institution to be a, maybe a loan officer form in the banking industry. Um, I had another... There was actually a governmental organization looking to be, would you be their economic development director? So still tied oh, into wow. some real estate okay. a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, there was another realtor I was working with about maybe teaming up with them. And then Joe Nudich approached me. And uh, I have to give a funny story. He sat with me and he says, I got an idea. And he put a business card in front of me. And it said, Nugent Curtis Real Estate. And it said, Chris Curtis, president below it. He says, what do you think? And I was like, that's a heck of a sales yeah. pitch. <laughs> I still got the card. So um, wow. he, he made it. And I, I thought about it and I realized, you know, I do love real estate. I just needed a change in how to do it. And this is, again, I, I loved everything I learned with the Perry Group, but I think I had to go a different direction of. What was your position at that time when you were still working for Perry, when you were feeling uh, kind of Official title out? was senior vice president, but I was just basically still doing brokerage and sales. And I, for me, again, it was that. I just didn't want to be that argumentative all the time. I wanted to be more, we can make this work and, and so productive. Yeah. And... So Joe came and that was 2008. And uh, so now we're around 14 years of working together and uh, it works well. I've always said me and Joe are, we're kind of like the odd couple just in everything. Uh, and yet it works very, very well. We're good friends, more than good friends. We're best friends, been there for each other in all time. But I think, some best businesses work when you have complete polar opposites sometimes, and it works well. His his strengths pick up my weaknesses, and I think my uh, weaknesses or my strengths help maybe some of his weaknesses, what makes our company successful. So are you saying Joe is the fiery one then? No, we don't, we don't have any fiery anymore. No, uh, I always sit there and say, I'm the guy, we'll go back to that analytical. I'm the guy who wants to put on a piece of paper, analyze if you go right or left, what could be step two and three and all that. And Joe is a salesman who can take a, a napkin, sketch it out, figure out the deal right now, make it happen. And so I probably overanalyze stuff, and then Joe just moves quickly with it. But if you put those two together, it seems to work out pretty well. So. It evens itself out yeah. a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Huh. So then fast-forwarding to, I guess, so you start Nugent Curtis, and then what goes from there? And, and when you did start it, 
you kind of did a little bit of everything. It wasn't just commercial or industrial. It was also homes too, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, we still do yeah. residential. Yeah. I personally don't do residential, but yes, we do. Our firm does residential. Um, we had several agents uh, that work with us and Joe does some residential along with it. Mostly commercial is what he does, but he does uh, do some of that. And so we still do it and it works out well to keep the business going. And uh, I know enough to be dangerous, I sit there and say. Um, <laughs> it's just, again, I'd prefer to stay on the commercial side. So if I get something that is a residential lead, which we do get, I refer to one of the residential agents to handle it for us. So. And that's a heck of a time to start a new real estate uh, business, by the way. <laughs> 2008, for those it, that don't know, that was the, you know, the housing market crash. and We got you know. very lucky. And I still look back again, I said I, I say it all the time, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we came out and we had it was February of two thousand eight. The bubble really hadn't hit yet. And we had a phenomenal first seven, eight months. A couple big sales, did really well. The company really took off quickly. And then I remember it well as two thousand eight happened and you thought it was another recession. Okay. And we'll deal with this for about twelve months. What do we deal with it? Three to four years? I mean, it took a long time. It definitely was more to th- on the three to four year yeah. end, I feel like. And so because we came out strong, we were able to survive it, which was a big deal. We almost, we did so well, we almost bought a building. We said, hey, let's get into development and ownership of building. And the best thing we did was never pull that trigger because we didn't know the bubble was happening. I will say um, there was a gentleman... Uh, Merlin Carlock, who's owner of Municipal <laughs> Bank. And uh, I remember trying to sell him a building. And he said, no, nah, this is going to take this is going to take years. There's going to be a huge market correction, all this. And we walked out and I said, man, he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's like, this will be eight months like everything else and all that. He was spot on. He saw it coming. He, he knew that you shouldn't be buying something right now. Now, we didn't buy that building. And if we had, I think it could have bankrupt our company because we wouldn't be able to carry that vacancy for three years and the heat and the utilities and keeping the building up. And so the best thing we did was just not take that opportunity and it worked out well. But even in the lean times, there was still a lot of opportunity. People had to sell buildings, especially in the commercial market. Residential was very difficult at that time. You lost a lot of residential realtors. But in the commercial market, there were still businesses happening. They were just downsizing or they had to take their 80,000 square foot lease and downsize it to 40,000 square feet. That's still a business opportunity. We can still get paid on that 40,000 square foot lease. Or they had to sell a building. They had two of them. We don't need to. Let's downsize. So we and, still And you well. guys were focusing more on the commercial anyway. Very much so at that, at time. that time. So it worked so, out okay. So. Yeah. Luckily for you, it wasn't like, hey, let's focus on residential <laughs> right now. <laughs> that was a tough time you know. for residential. Yes. It really was. So. Yeah. You know, starting that company and then going on from there, what happens? Had you always had it in your mind to run as an alderman? Had Zero. you thought about it at that point? What put the, the bug in your... I have to laugh because I said, up to about 18 months ago, I said, I'm not a politician because I never wanted to be in politics, had no desire, didn't follow it, didn't do much. Um, you weren't very interested in... in just, I vote, just on a... I voted, but okay. I didn't... I followed like most people would. You know, if there was State of Union was on with the president, you'd watch it because that's... You That's what that. you do. Yeah. yeah. You're an American. Um, yeah. But I didn't, I never had any aspirations to be in the government sector of, from an elected standpoint. And so it was 2012, uh, Rich Brown was an alderman in the sixth ward and he took a new job in North Carolina and 
he had called me along with uh, Mayor Epstein and had said, you know, would you think about being my appointment because I'm going to leave? And I said, no, I have no desire to get into politics. I think I said no three times. And wow, said, they, just, they, had, uh, they yeah. had something for you. And I just finally I said, okay, let me sit down and, and listen. And I said, okay, I, it's intriguing. I don't even know what to do, but we'll try it out and see. And so I finally did say yes. And interestingly enough, here we are. And, you know, not only <laughs> that I run two more terms, I had, to, I had to turn around six months later, run for election because I was appointed, and then ran again in 2017. And really neither had, had aspirations to be mayor either, you know, but now I sit there and say, I think once you're mayor, you are a politician. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I officially have so. to say that now. So, But, but even, uh, uh, even as an alderman though, I feel like you become uh, officially a politician yeah. if you decide to do multiple terms, you know, maybe yeah. you do one and that's it. But if you like turn around and you're like, okay, I want to be reelected, then at that point, I guess it's the the deal is kind of yeah. sealed. You are a yeah. politician. But so going back to that, what do you remember from doing your very first board meeting or anything like that? Once you were appointed, what do you remember? From, Messing it up. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. So it was, uh, I remember it was one of the very first meetings. There and was, this would have been Epstein, Mayor Epstein. Mayor Epstein, was, it was July of 2012, maybe going into August. And gosh, big, 10 years ago already. That's hard to believe. The big controversy was the Nexus Group home on Washington Avenue, just south of Court Street. They were going to have to get special zoning for that. It was the old funeral home. Okay, yes. And they converted that into a group home for the Nexus students. As a next step in life, you'd come over there, do some independent living to try and get uh, out on your own. And it was very hot topic right out of the box there. And I would say it was 50% of people were for, at least in my ward, I'm hearing about 50% against. And it was very political. And the first thing I thought of was, let's not rush anything through. Let's give the public time to speak. So you can, as a home rule community, something no one ever talked about, but you can you know, suspend rules and do some different things. And so I sat there and said, let's, let's have the two votes on this. Let's do one tonight and let's do one in two weeks. Not knowing what to do, there was the motion to suspend the rules for passage of the, of the whole thing that night, and I voted no. Not knowing you have to get 10 of 14 aldermen to vote yes to suspend the rules. Because I voted no, and there were some people that were against it, I think only like eight or nine, uh, I think like nine votes got through. So we couldn't do both readings that night. And... Then it came for the first vote on the first reading. I, I voted yes for it. I said I was okay with the, the group home going there, but I wanted to give the public time to continue to talk about it for two more weeks. And everybody looked at me, how do you vote for it, but yet you didn't vote to suspend the rules to pass this tonight? You don't know what you're doing. I said, I have no idea. <laughs> and I remember uh, Mayor Epstein comes up and she goes, you know what you did tonight, right? And I said, I think so. I'm not quite sure. She goes, no, this is when you don't suspend the rules. We got to push off two weeks. And I remember what she said to me. She goes, don't worry about it. You do what you think is right all the time. She goes, we were going to try and get it passed tonight, but you always vote how you think you should vote. And that's the best thing. And so she wasn't angry. She wasn't mad. She so was they just, were trying yeah. to pass that. So that first reading, they were trying to pass this. Well, it's not a bill. Ordinance. Ordinance. Thank yep. you. They're trying to pass this ordinance to let Nexus 
do what they wanted to do yeah. with that building. Actually, they were, yeah, conditional use permits, I think, is what they were seeking. Okay, so yeah, conditional. So probably it wasn't an ordinance. It okay. was a special use permit, conditional use mm-hmm. permit. To and you voted zone. no on it, but I, everyone else, like, voted yes. I voted no to have both votes happen that night. Okay. I voted yes in supporting of it. And they said, how can you support it but not vote? <laughs> I wasn't sure. I didn't know you had to have 10. I thought it was simple majority. You only need eight. Didn't realize you had to have 10 to suspend rules. I, and so everyone kind of looked at me like I was goofy. I had people angry at me. Did you know what you did and all this? And uh, no, I don't. <laughs> you guys right, just appointed me three yeah. weeks ago. And you. <laughs> and it's not like they, I don't, did they go through any class or you know, sessions like explaining no. to you like how things work? Yes. Because so that would have been, I would have been a, just a box of nerves. And I'm yeah. sure you were too yeah. that first night. Like, and, and probably sitting there listening to them talk about these things like, I have no idea yeah. what this means right now. <laughs> no, you know, there is no class. You, anybody can come elected official. There's no class on how to do it. But no, Mayor Epstein did meet with me and said, here's how things generally work. Here's how we have passed stuff. Here's how we do stuff. Here's our budgets. Get to know it. That's kind of a deep dive that was that night. I'm sure no one thought about it. We need to talk to him about you takes, Kind of brief him yeah, on. that it takes two-thirds vote to suspend the rules and things of that nature. So it was interesting. So that was, uh, yeah, that was my first big vote, I guess I'll did call you, it. So did you get a lot of backlash then immediately on that or what? A little bit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because people wanted to get it done that night. The developers wanted to get it done and stuff. And I just was voting what I thought was right. And I still, I, I don't regret it one bit, um, but it was probably been good to know that I was going to cause such chaos on the floor <laughs> as a new guy. So <laughs> I just, I'm just picturing this, like this, their jaws just dropping as yeah. you're like voting. Now they're like, because I like, think they what asked, does he do? <laughs> I think there was probably a comment, are you going to support this? And I said I was going to support it. But then what I did, supported it, but took longer to get it yeah. done. And so, so they, then they the, weren't expecting that part of it. Yeah. So. so then the two weeks goes by to the next meeting, and then it— We vote for it, and it passes, passes. and it's, it's all good. So we just delayed it two weeks is what mm-hmm. we did. But again, that can be time and money. You know, somebody <laughs> wants to get going, you got to wait two more weeks of yeah. uh, to start construction. or right. so. so going on from there, what, what do you remember? being appointed you know it was after that i i I think it was yeah what was i caught caught the bug a little bit of being a politician i remember one of my next big things was there was somebody that had a container in their alley and it was over encroaching the property line and they'd gotten a ticket and it had to be moved and they wanted me to make the ticket go away and i said i don't think i have that kind of power that's not how this works I said, well, what I can probably do is get you more time to move the container. You know, it doesn't have to be this Friday. I can probably get you through another week and give them a call. I, I can't make the ticket go away, but I can get you more time. Was it like a waste? It was, uh, uh, like it was one of those big, those big uh, cargo containers that okay. people use for moving and stuff. Okay. But they were just using it as a permanent storage shed in the oh. back. And the problem was, one, you weren't allowed in a residential area to do that, and two, it was encroaching on what I call the alleyway. So when snow season was going to come up, snow plows wouldn't be able to get down. So um, I said I can get you more time. And I remember the, the comment was, if you can't get rid of this ticket, then I'm not voting for you. And I, it was one of those first things I had heard. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I don't care that much. <laughs> then don't vote for me. And I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting because now people are saying I'll only vote for you if you can do certain things. And so that's when politics really started to get interesting. And so that was the first time I said just hold to your firmness, do what you think is right, and don't let a vote ever dictate what you want to do. 
but I did realize you can help a lot of people. And that was even there. I realized I could give them more time to help them with the situation. There's other issues that you might have in the neighborhood. You can, you can actually help a lot of people because your alderman has those connections that get to the right person. It could be as simple as a pothole patch. They call City Hall. I got a pothole that needs to be patched. It gets to three different people. It might get to DPW in three or four days and all. The reality is in Alderman, you know exactly who to call down at DPW and say, hey, can we get some cold patch down in that pothole? And it's taken care of by that afternoon. Not because you've got any political influence or power. You just know how to navigate within City Hall and 250 employees. So, um, And I realized when somebody comes back to you and says, thank you so much for taking care of that, that item for me, it feels good when you know you're helping somebody. So, so that's when you were like, okay, I'm actually going to run for this alderman, yeah. sixth ward yep. alderman. I'm gonna, that was part of it. They were going to appoint me. And they said, you got to, you know, we're six months out. You need to run for election. So I knew I'd do the first election term. And then after that, I realized I enjoyed structuring the direction of the city of Kankakee. So that's when I said, I'm going to step up again and run for a second term. And that would have been in what, 2017. What were some other things as aldermen that you remember going through? A lot of it is, it's the controversial issues that are the toughest. The three that stand out for me before becoming mayor is that Nexus Group home was really a, a firestorm. And a lot of times I come down to the most controversial things in our city is group homes, homelessness, where's some, you know, I'll call it not in my backyard. You always hear that, right? Always. You always hear that. And, we're, and we have all got a little bit of that. I, I don't care who you are. If somebody sits there and says, oh, I don't have a problem with that. That's not true. The other one was... The vehicle sticker tax, that was very, we brought that back, I think, in 2014. Um, that was not a very popular decision, but at that time, finances... Is that something fun. that existed previously? It had. So the okay. vehicle sticker was around, uh, came about in Mayor Green's tenure. Was that, what, in the 90s? He, he was elected in the early 90s and through 2008. I don't know when it came about, maybe the late 90s or so through the early 2000s. And they took it away because they had the... They were doing the sales tax sharing agreements, and they realized they didn't need to ha- need it anymore. They um, took it away, and then we brought it back as a way to f- balance the budget. Quite frankly, we saw as a source of income of how we could bring in four hundred to four hundred twenty-five thousand. The controversy is, what do you charge for a sticker? I mean, there was amounts of seventy dollars, thirty-five dollars, ten dollars. You know, so that was a debate between the aldermen. That was a tough one. But the other one was another group home in my neighborhood. Um, it was in a residential area. It was a single-family house that was going to be converted into a group home. That one was very difficult also. Because of the type of group home it was? or Because of where the location. It was in an R1 district, all single-family homes right around there. And this home was going to be turned into three or four-bedroom units for three or four people. And it was a very controversial neighborhood because people were like, our kids live here. My grandkids visit here. We don't know who these people are. They could harm them. You know, those are the type of things that people think about. But I had some people for it, some neighbors against it. And it was really close to my house, probably one block away. It was really close to Alderman Barron's house. And we struggled back and forth. What's the proper thing to do? And I remember one neighbor saying, you know, my grandkids come here and they're not going to be safe when they come here. And my kids were young at the time. And I thought, my kids live here 24-7. You don't think I worry about my kids? So if I'm worried about my kids, I'm going to make a proper decision for your grandkids. You know, we went back and forth and it was about five minutes before city council started. Me and Alderman Barron looked at each other. We'd flip flop probably three times that day. And we ultimately said, let's use our heart. 
and our the, our stomach and our heart to make this decision. And we said, yes, we're going to allow the group home. And it was fine. Nothing ever happened there. It's kind of where we get into now with fortitude and different things. And I've sat there and said, we voted yes and no on a lot of things. But when it comes down to it, the city of Kinky has never denied until recently. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, West Jeffrey was the one that they denied recently. But we've always group homes, the veterans homes, the shelters, we've approved all of them. Had they been controversial on firestorms on the front page of the newspaper? Absolutely. But when it comes down to it, it was that Nexus group home voted in favor of, and there was very few problems with that. The group home in our neighborhood, it's no longer there. They basically ceased operation after a few years, but we voted for that and there was no problems with it. And just a kind of a point of reference, I was just thinking, where is the sixth ward located for those? Because that's yeah. the ward we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and that's six wards where I live. So sixth ward is basically, uh, we'll call it Cobb Boulevard, down to the river. The river's a boundary. It's changed now, actually. <laughs> so we'll have to get in, but I'll go the oh, old that's sixth right. ward. That changed yeah. this year, didn't it? There's it just a changed new map. about a month ago, yeah. yeah. Uh, the sixth ward was the river all the way over to Maple Street up to about River Street. That's kind of that area. So the Boat Club area, Beckman Park, Cobb Park. That's all 6th uh, Ward. Yeah, it's all 6th Ward there. But it's changing now. Now 6th Ward crosses the river and catches past KCC and goes out by the skating rink and Splash Valley and out to some of the housing that's out in that area there is now part of the 6th Ward. So, Was that in a ward before? It was in the 4th Ward. It was. Yeah. And well, so, why the change? So it had to do with the census count. When the census numbers came in and we were a lot lower, everybody, all wards need to be within 10% population of each other. And so we found out that the third ward was population heavy. And, and the third the, ward is? Basically West Kankakee. Okay. We'll call it Wall Street all the way over to County Health Building. A lot of people yeah. live in West Kankakee. Yeah. So we had to redistrict. And so you got to take some parts out. The sixth ward was also heavy. A lot of people lived in the sixth ward, so we had to get rid of... So it's interesting. We had to get rid of population in the sixth ward, but we expanded across the river. Well, yeah. we had to move some of our areas into the seventh ward, which was light, some areas into the first ward. But when we did that, everything affects everything. So all seven wards had to have a little bit of a change. So we went over the river and took a little bit of population there and gave up a lot more population to the east part to get it into the seventh ward. It's a little confusing, but it's still that majority down by Beckman Cobb, Boat Club area is a sixth ward. So, But going back to what your, your original question, what the yeah. politics, it's the controversial votes that are difficult. Those are the ones that tug at you. And uh, they don't happen often, but when they do, um, you just got to trust your gut. I've always, I've always had a philosophy as an alderman was we represent the people. So if 80% of the people are against something, even if I'm for it, I think I'm there to represent the 80% and I've got to vote what that 80% wants to do. Even though I may be, it may not be my morals or my values or what I think, I am their representative of them. And that's how I use it as an alderman. But a lot of times it's 50-50 or 60-40. And that makes it so much harder, right? And then I, I say, then it's up to me to use my morals, values, and my decisions to make that. And then it's up to them to do whether I stay in alderman or not. So, so it's obviously it's easier if you find that yeah. the majority of the population is for or against yeah. something, then you'd be like, oh, okay, well, we just, we're going to pass that or no, we're not going to pass that. You know, it's easy because your answer is, is this is what my constituents wanted and I voted what they wanted. So that's easy. That's an easy out, right? Blaming the constituents. That's what they wanted. <laughs> so, yeah. um, when, it's, when it's tight like that, you've got to make the hardcore decision and then it's up to the voters whether you're making the right decisions or not. Those are the hard ones. So When you are trying to make those 50-50 decisions, what process do you go through 
in your mind to try to make those decisions. I drive my wife nuts. Because <laughs> you're asking yeah, yeah. her no, I, I, what you, she thinks. You come right? home. Now you come home and she's my vent. You know, I get to I get to talk to her and say, you know, what do you think? I mean, this person says this and this person says that and they're driving me nuts and but I'm okay with this and she gets to hear it all and she doesn't make the decision, but she's my sounding board. And if anything, it's like me and you talking right now. I at least yeah. get to talk about it out loud. Get it off my get chest. Get those ideas out of your head yeah. and out into the open. Because what you're thinking. All humans, whether you're running a business, whether you're dealing with your family, the hardest part is keeping it internal and trying to figure it out in your mind without talking to somebody. We all need somebody to talk to. Yes. You, you need that outside opinion, <laughs> yep. outside of your brain, yep. you know, Absolutely. outside of your own thoughts. So, and you yeah. have to have that in, in politics too. You got to be able to right. talk to people. The hardest thing is trying something new for the first time. Doesn't matter what it is. You know, there were some things on the Thanksgiving day table yesterday that I'm not a big fan of. Did you I, try them? No, I didn't. <laughs> so, see, I'm just as bad. So, <laughs> But the hardest thing is to try something new. And sometimes trying something works out well. I think that goes back to um, anyone that hasn't listened to the episode with Rob West should listen to it. And I think the one of the best takeaways from his episode touches on what you're talking about is Rob kind of his statement to the people was as a, you know, as a news person was that let them try stuff. You know, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Yeah. You know, but at least they tried, right. you know, that was his whole thing. And I thought, no, that's a great, and that's we, a great takeaway. We did that with the old homestead. That was a great example. Um, the old homestead is a um, men's shelter that uh, Jimmy Smith is running down there. Uh, we gave that conditional use permit a one-year trial. Said, let's try it. Let's see what happens. After one year, there was no problems that anyone was aware of. It seemed to be working well. So we removed that one-year conditional use permit. And it's now a permanent conditional use permit while they're operating there. Let things happen and try. And I guess that could also tie into... A big thing that just happened recently is home rule. Mm -hmm. The voters approved to keep home rule because since the population dipped under 20, 25,000, right, or is it 24,000? Yeah, it's under 25, 25, yeah. When population dips under 25,000, then it gives people the opportunity to say, let's keep home rule or let's not keep it. So I feel like now is a good opportunity to explain what home rule is and yeah. the, I guess, the pros and cons of Home rule. And there is. There, there is both, yeah. So home rule's been in existence in the state of Illinois since 1970 for any municipality that has over 25,000 people. And the city of Kankakee did adopt it pretty much right when that became a thing, yeah. right? Everybody yeah. automatically got it and kept it. Okay. And so most, uh, there's been very few towns that get rid of it. Rockford's one. Rockford's, you know, over 100,000 people and they voted to get rid of it. I think if you talk to Rockford now, they wish they wouldn't have. They would like to have that in place right now. But what happens is the the state says if you fall below 25,000 people, and this is where it gets a little cumbersome, the federal government runs a census. The state of Illinois ties in home rule to the census count. So federal government said, City Kinky, you're 24,050 people. That's 52 people. 24,052 is your new number, below 25,000. We still think that's wrong, and we're going to probably appeal that because, not probably, we will, because it, it deals with our funding. Because we just think through the COVID era, it wasn't an accurate census count. Yes, for right. That People those don't realize yeah. the census was being taken during the 2020 pandemic. The census should have been delayed. 
It shouldn't have happened in 2020. We should be doing it probably this past summer or this cup coming summer. I am delayed. surprised that they went ahead with it. Everything was delayed except for <laughs> for that, right? That's why I was yeah. surprised. I'm like, you delayed everything else, but that's going to go forward. Yeah. You know? And it, I don't think there was accurate counts anywhere because you're just you weren't going door to door. People weren't answering doors. Um, but so we fell below that. The state says if you fall below the next general election, which just happened to be November 8th, you've got to put on the ballot, show you retain home rule or not. And so us and six other communities had to do that. Any community can be home rule. You can put it on the ballot at any time. So a good example is Barrington is below 25,000 people, but they put on this recent election. Can they become home rule? And they put that on the ballot and won. And there are people elected to allow that. Hopkins Park is 8,000 people, maybe less. They're home rule. Oh, really? I didn't Many years ago, that. I guess, I don't know when, but they put it on a referendum, took it to vote, and they're a home rule community. So home rule is Kankakee and Hopkins Park within Kankakee County. So any municipality can put it on a ballot for the people to vote for. The biggest problem that people have with home rule is it does allow a municipal government to borrow as much money as they want to borrow or levy. So the city of Kankakee and we just recently did it. We were trying to fix our pension crisis problem. We were able to go out and bond for up to $92 million. Okay, you can't do that. Um, this is a knock on our community, but Bradley, Bourbon A, Mantino wouldn't be able to do that. They don't need to do that much either, you know, but they wouldn't be able to just bond as much as they want and or levy as much as you want. And so that is the, the danger of home rule. So you have to have elected officials that, that, you are, trust. that you trust that aren't going to go out and bury your community in heavy debt. Or I mean, let me put it this way, bury you in debt that can't be paid back. So there is a difference, I will say. Or if it is going to be paid back, <laughs> it's going to take forever. Yeah, that's the argument that most people say. Um, you'll have a lot of groups that sit there and say, well, when you do that, it raises real estate taxes, which can be true. But you, it depends on how your government how you, structures is structured. If, yeah. if they're making their income solely or majority based on property taxes, yep. right? Exactly. So if you sit there, I'll use a good example, is if we went out and borrowed the $92 million and we just say, we're just going to put on a tax levy and the real estate taxes are just going to pay for that debt back. That's how taxes can increase. We've done it a little different. We've argued and sit there and said, we've reduced and your real estate taxes because we implemented the sales tax. And when we did that, that was very controversial. We added a 2% sales tax, which is, interestingly enough, now Bradley has a 2% sales tax. Bourbon A is trying to go to a 2% they, sales tax. They tried. They just yeah. failed They got 1%. Last... They're at 7 now, 7 and a quarter. But they're, yeah. Yeah. And they didn't get to 8 and a quarter. We're using that sales tax from, hopefully, it is local people, but it's also out-of-town people to pay the money that we borrowed for the pensions back. So the key was we put it on a direct funding to the pensions, which goes on to people's tax levy. We said, we'll take that off your tax bill. And that's how we reduced real estate taxes. We just didn't take the extra 2% and say, we're going to go buy five new squad cars and hire six more people and keep your tax bill up. So it's very advantageous if you use it properly, but there are some pitfalls to it and you got to trust your elected officials. And my argument was, if you don't like how the elected officials are using home rule, vote them out. That's the key. Every two years, there's an election. If you don't like it, then vote those people out. And I say that includes for me, too. Vote me out if you don't like what we're doing. But there's a lot of good things that come with it. And what I say that is we're able to change ordinances that we can make them stronger, more punitive, which sometimes it's a bad word, but I'm going to use the ATVs that we're running around in, on 
the state highways in Kankakee, doing wheelies up and down Court Street. No one liked it. Somebody was going to get killed one day. I was convinced of it that I saw some ATVs riding up and down the sidewalks at 30 miles per hour where you almost stepped out a door and could get run over. That happened to me Okay, on, on Skyler. There you go. Yeah. I almost and got hit. They almost got hit. And if you'd gotten hit, you probably would have been seriously injured if not killed. Yeah, it was, I was on right on the sidewalk, yeah. and the dirt bike was, yeah. <laughs> you know. So there you go. So there was a good, and if, if that had happened, it would have been the city of Kankakee's fault. That's who they would have blamed. And I, not could, the have, and I could have sued the city of Kankakee. You would have. Yeah. Ser- yeah. yeah. And it would have been the person riding the ATV. It would have all come down to, why aren't you guys doing something about it? Yeah. That home rule, so right now, if you're riding ATV, it's like a speeding ticket. The police can stop you and they can give you a ticket for, I don't know the amount, but let's just say $120 and you're on your way. Now you drive off on your ATV with your ticket. No different than when you're speeding in a car. We changed it. Home rule allowed us to strengthen the ordinance. We said, no, not a $120 ticket. How about a $250 ticket the first time? $500 the second time, $750 the third time. On top of that, we're going to impound your ATV immediately right there, which is a $500 impound fee. We're also going to be, if you're under 18, we're going to hold the parents responsible for your actions and your ticket. And we're also going to say that the gas stations can't be selling gas to ATVs that just drive up. These were all rules that we put into the ordinance that without home rule, we couldn't do. We would have had to follow the state ticket system. Let's say there wasn't home rule in place. You would have had to follow the state ticket system. But if you wanted to change an ordinance, would the people have had to vote on it? Is that how that would work? Would you be able to... Yeah, you can probably go to the people, but are you really going to go to the people and say, here's 18 ordinances we want to do every two years to try... You know, you don't. We just would have stuck with it. I just wasn't sure if, let's say for... Because obviously most of the villages or municipalities in the county aren't home rule. So I just didn't know if, if there's something they're trying to change or pass, if that's where they turn to... The people it's, and have them vote on referendums. Like, is that what the alternative is when there's no home rule? I, I don't know if they. You can take simple ordinances to referendum every time. That's difficult. Okay. But it just it it handcuffs you. You got to live with what Springfield and State of Illinois says you have to do. Well, we had an ATV problem. Kankakee had an ATV problem that maybe Clifton's not having, or maybe Hersher's not having, or maybe well, let me pick a small, bigger town. Maybe uh, Plainfield's not having. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. We had to do something to do it. When we impounded, uh, when we changed that ordinance, we impounded, I believe, five or six ATVs right away. That word spreads quickly. My ATV got taken away. I got a ticket for $500. I got all this. You stop. The action stopped quickly. We saw ATVs. There's still a few out there. But I overall, haven't, I haven't not, seen them as like much as, yeah, not and as much. And that was home rule allowed us to strengthen that ordinance. A home rule allowed us to hire, we talk about more police officers. When I came into office, we were at about, I want to say 57 police officers. We're now budgeted for 67. It's hard to hire officers there. There's just not as many people wanting to be a police officer anymore. But with that, you have to have at least two years experience before you could, if you're working for, let me just say, uh, city of Chicago as a police officer, you got to have two years experience before we can hire you. Home rule allowed us to change that and said, you know what, we'll accept somebody with less than two years experience. We'll accept them with 14 months experience. Home rule allowed us to change that statute so that we could hire what we call lateral hiring of officers. Officers that are already trained, have already been through the academy, so that saves us money. We don't spend that money to send them to Springfield or Champaign to learn to become a police officer. We just hire them. They come to our street. They got less training they have to do because they're already trained to be a police officer. Now they just got to learn the community. 
I'm trying to think of what else under home rule is. There's lots of little things. I'll give another one. Uh, the Illinois Housing Development Authority, Ida, had given the city of Kankakee several hundred thousand dollars to create a land bank. A land bank, basically, we partnered with the county uh, because you got basically a partner with the uh, the treasurer to be able to clean up back taxes and stuff. But it only it had to be a home rule community that that money had to be given to. And so Kankakee was able to get that money as a home rule. That allows us to take some of these abandoned homes that, why are they abandoned? Well, they've got $10,000 worth of liens against it and $12,000 in back taxes. And so somebody never wants to buy it because they don't want to take care of $25,000 of somebody else's problem. We can take that into the land bank and basically wipe those liens out, wipe those back taxes out, get it basically where we can get it to somebody like yourself that says, I want to fix this house up and live in it. Uh, with none of the liens and tax, back taxes attached to it. This land bank allows us to do that. If we had not had home rule, that money would have been taken away from Kinky and given to another home rule community. So that was a big deal because that was something how we're trying to deal with the abandoned homes. It kind of goes on and on with, I call it, tailoring your laws. You know, we call them ordinances, but we'll call it laws for the public, of how you run your community to deal with the problems in your communities. Kinky has different problems than Mantino does. Mantino has different problems than Plainfield does. Plainfield has different problems than Chicago does. So we're all in the state of Illinois, but we, we've each got to deal with our own issues and problems that we have to deal with. So, and it, it allows us to change our laws and ordinances to deal with those problems. So that's the biggest thing that home rule gives us. It's not always about the money. So I know people think it's going to raise taxes. We've proven it doesn't raise taxes. We've actually lowered. If we had not maintained home rule, real estate tax bills would have gone up. Yeah. We would have lost the 1% sales tax. Right. And you that would have 1%, taken that that's 3.7 million. And we would, we need that 3.7 million. We would have had to put that on the tax bill and levy for it. That would have caused real estate taxes to go up. That's just something uh, I thought it was important to kind of go over. I guess before even getting to that, though, <laughs> we didn't even talk about what made you decide to run for mayor, first sure. of all. I mean, after being an alderman for two years, what did someone call you up one day and like, oh, you should run for mayor? I mean, how did that? No, actually, it was a decision that, you know, I said, I, you know, I got it to be an alderman. I liked making a difference. I had a difference in philosophy of how I thought the city of Kinky was moving the direction it was going. For me, being in real estate, it's all about always trying to keep real estate taxes down. So spending less, doing more with less. It was also about public safety. Uh, to be quite frank, I didn't think the police department's morale was that outstanding. I think everybody was kind of going through the motions, and I thought they needed a leader that would say, uh, um, I've got your back. You're going to probably make a mistake at some point, and if you do, that's okay. We're human. We all do. But I've got your back. I want you to go out and be a strong policewoman, policeman, protect our community, and I'll give you the tools and the resources, what you need to do it. We're going to do it some different ways, but we're going to give you the knowledge, the tools, and more importantly, the respect that you know how to do the job, and I'm going to be there for you. So I always tell this story. I was sitting in Washington, D.C. We were on a family vacation, uh, probably about two blocks from the Capitol, and we were just sitting at our Airbnb having a beer out in the front lawn. And I'd thought about, should I run for mayor? Because I want to live in Kankakee. I think it's got to go a different direction. There's some, a lot of good things that the administration was doing that we've kept in place, but I think there was a lot of things that need to be changed. And so I looked at my wife and I said, you know, we're in the nation's capital. You know, this is the home of politics if there ever is a place. Um, 
I've got an idea, and I expected her to say, you're nuts, not a chance in doing it. I'll keep it clean here. <laughs> um, and I, I uh, but I thought I'd ask it. And I said, what do you think about me running for mayor? Fully expecting her to say, are you nuts? No way. <laughs> and it wasn't even five seconds she thought about it. She says, I think it's a good idea. Caught me off guard. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't have plans. Yeah. You were not expecting I was not expecting yeah. that. I thought this will be an out out. I could say, hey, I was going to run for mayor, but my well, wife said, no, we're no, not going to do that. Not so. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and she was all for it. And I, I had to have her behind me to do it. Plus, I knew both my boys were heading off to college. So if they were much younger, there's just no way. There's just, it takes too much time. I don't get home till late at night. You start early in the mornings. You're gone on Saturdays and Sundays. You got to be there for your family first. And so knowing they were going to college, they were at their teenage years. Do they really want to hang out with mom and dad that much anyway? So <laughs> Yeah. And plus uh, they're not going to even be home anyway. Yeah. So it's okay. And so really it was, can I get my wife's blessing? And she said yes. And that was kind of the start of it. And I came home and said, I'm, I'm going to run for mayor based on principles and philosophies that I think will be good for the city of Kinky. I know you can't run government like a business, but I think you can take a lot of business philosophy and bring it into government and run, at least on the financial part of it, you can run it that way somewhat. It's and, interesting to hear you say that because I feel like that's something you hear a lot of government officials say is you have to run government like a business. But you can't exactly do that, though, can you? Not 100 percent. No. To a certain degree. No, I mean, but... we, we're going to have to have 67 police officers. That means we got to levy for it no matter what. OK, we got to have there's certain things we need. But there's just a lot of little things that I think when it's not your checkbook, you don't, you just sign your name. Does that make sense? And so when you own a business or your own household, I think you got to run it like your own household. So I'll give a good example is cellular phones. Okay. Uh, we all have them. I get my bill at home. Okay. I've got four accounts on it. My wife's, my two kids and mine. So every month we pay for four, four cell lines. If I got a bill that had seven cell lines on it, I would probably question why I'm paying this bill because I'd be like, why do we have seven lines? I need to dig into this. Why? Who? They're, they're charges much too much. Or, or I forgot, we forgot to disconnect these three lines. Okay. Well, it's the same thing. We dove into the cell phones of the city of Kinky and found out that we had well over 30, 35, maybe as much as 40 lines that we were paying for that aren't being used. People had retired. Cell phone has no activity on it, but we never canceled the line at $39.95 a month. Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> we got a lot of retirees. We got cell phone. We analyzed all that, and we were able to save right out of the box um, about $8,000 a year, and then we found about another four. So we're, we're saving well over $10,000 a year in cell phone just because you're paying attention. And what I mean by that is it's hard to write a check when you own a business. Okay, It's hard when you own your household. It's hard to write checks, right? It's hard to yes, write a it check is. for the – I joke, the hardest check I write is for TV. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, I'm paying, I, I don't care as much about the water and the sewer and the electric bills, but I'm like, I'm paying how much to watch TV? <laughs> TV? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. It's a hard yes. check to write. Um, yes, it is. But you do that in your house. And when you're a business owner, you do the same thing. You look at everything. I had owned a uh, restaurant bar in 2011 to 2014. That was a very difficult business to run. Um, the margins are thin. Um, every penny matters. And you've got to, first, first thing you got to pay. Well, the first thing you got to do is make sure you pay your employees because you don't have employees, you're not going to open up. Second thing is you got to pay the bank. Third is withholding taxes and taxes to the government. You haven't even got the utilities yet. Okay. Oh so gosh. when you, when you've got $20,000 in bills and only 14,000 came in, somebody's going to get shorted, right? For a couple of weeks and you go through and go employees, this one. 
well, ComEd, I might not write your check for you for two weeks. Hope you don't turn my power off. I mean, those are, you, you struggle when you write those checks. And you got to bring that philosophy to government a little bit. You can't just sit there and say, well, it's just taxpayers' money. Just sign every single check and let it go out. So I watch every check that goes through. I probably drive our comptroller nuts a few times. I've got a couple I pulled off the other day here on Wednesday. I got to ask questions. Why are we paying for this? A lot of times, nine out of 10 times, there's a good answer why we're doing it. But it makes me say, is there a better way to do this? Is there a more smarter and efficient way? So that's what I mean by bringing business into government. Is there a better way to be do more with less, be more efficient? And you've got to run it that way. And I just feel like a lot of times there's a lot of people that are in politics that have never written a check. They just, they don't know what it means to... Spend someone else's money. Spend, yeah. And... You got to treat it like it's your own. So I look at the city of Kinky's finances like they are my own. And I'm a frugal person. I don't like to spend money. I like, to, let me put it this way. I do like to spend money. We all do. Everybody does. But, <laughs> but I also like to have a safety net and reserves and stuff. So I guess back to your question, what made me run for mayor? <laughs> yeah. Um, it was a difference in philosophy of not spending as much money, but yet still doing some great things. And it was having our police department know that somebody's there for them. And I think they're doing an outstanding job. They're going out and they're being proactive. They're looking and they're trying to spearhead problems by getting in front of them and different things where before I felt like maybe they were just kind of going through the motions. And I don't blame them if, if somebody doesn't have your back. It's kind of like a mom and dad to their kid, okay? Anything they do, if they know mom and dad's got their back and they're going to support them in whatever endeavor they choose in life, they're going to give it their all. But if they don't, know that they got the support from somebody behind them, you, you kind of tiptoe through it, hoping to maybe accomplish what you want to accomplish. So, And so you kind of looked at the opportunity and you're like, I think there's things that I can offer to help the city move forward. You know, I think it was, we talked about earlier, I think one of my strong strengths is the ability to not get riled up, not get offended, not um, get angry. Uh, so take that calm demeanor, networking with people, all people, trying to get everybody on the same page, bring that to government, and then bringing the business side of it to the finances part of it to the government. I thought those were the strengths that could make Kankakee be very prosperous, is having, whether you live on the west side, south side, north side, east side, downtown Kankakee, wherever you might live, everybody knowing that I'm looking out for everybody and I really do care about everybody's direction and that we're all can just, we can all have differences of opinions. We don't have to be angry about it. We can, it's okay to say, I don't agree with you. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to say, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't get angry when somebody tells you no. Don't get disgruntled when somebody tells you, I don't agree with you. Think about it. Sit out for 24 hours. Maybe they've got a valid point of to change your mind. And if you take that philosophy, like we do in our real estate business and bring that in, and get everybody to work together as much as possible and sometimes know that we're not going to agree on things, it's okay. I've always said no is not a bad answer. It's a frustrating answer, <laughs> but it's, it's an answer and you just, you just got to don't get upset about it. Don't get angry about it. And I just feel, I think that's part of the problem with all of politics right now is everybody is so one way in their thoughts. If, if, if you're over here, you don't believe in what this person's doing over here. And... Now they're a bad person. No, they're not a bad person. They just got a different opinion of what you have. You can still get along and you can still 
talk to each other and sit there and say, well, let me take a little piece of yours and a little piece and maybe we can come to agreement or maybe we can't, but let's continue to talk about it. And let's not get, you're not a bad person by thinking one way or the other. And so I, you know, we're, we have in Kankakee, Republican and Democrat, kind of respect a little bit of some of the other municipalities that don't have their Republican Democrat because they're just, you know, I'm a Republican. I don't shy away from it. Um, I've said I part of it's that 80s. We talked about the 80s music before. I tell everybody, I grew up in the Ronald Reagan era. So that's my that's my influence, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, so Ronald Reagan was Republican. That probably led me to be a Republican. But I'd say I'm poor, probably a middle ground Republican. There's a lot of ideas. And I, I hate to sit there and say there's Democrat ideas and Republican ideas. There really shouldn't be. That's no, what I was there getting should to. not be at there all. There should be just good ideas and bad ideas. Yes. And you just have political affiliation, a little bit like your sports team affiliation, okay? I'm a diehard Michigan State Spartan fan. Uh, They lost last night. I'm not happy about that. But that doesn't mean I need to, uh, because they lost to whatever team, that I've got to have complete hatred for anybody that likes that team. That's not how it should work. And just from the, I haven't gone to many city council meetings, but just from the few that I have been to recently, And just from other things that I see as far as other city council events and things, it does seem like, at least currently, and I could be wrong, but it does seem like both sides of the spectrum of politics between Republicans and Democrats, they seem to get along fairly well in our current city of Kankakee Council, even though they're technically from other parties. Yeah. You know, no, I think I mean, we've got a good council. It's working together. Do we always agree on everything? No, but I say the majority were mostly on the same page. Um, and we respect, at least I would hope we respect each other's opinions and ideas. And I think that starts with me. So I have to take criticism and I have to listen to other people's ideas and I have to give respect to that. And if I lead that and show that, then I think the other 14 council members will follow that suit. And I think that's the biggest thing of, I've always sat there and said, the mayor is the steering wheel of a car. But if you don't have an engine that's working, you're not going to go anywhere. You can steer it wherever you want, but it's not going anywhere. So the city council's the engine. I'm the steering wheel. It's my job to guide it down the right path, to lead by example. And then hopefully council comes along and... We're on the same page. So I, we're always going to agree, but I do think we have a, I think we do get along very well right now overall. And that's what it should be. And that, that's, that's one of the things I wanted to get forward with the city of Kinky. I felt like there was a little bit of a divide happening. I was probably part of that divide. I'm not going to, you know, somebody told me that recently, you know, I, I was bringing it up and I said, well, you were, you were part of that. And I looked back and I said, oh, they're right. Now, most people might've sat there and said, Got angry about that, right? We just talked about that. Yeah. Uh, t- I would have taken offense to that. You would have taken offense, uh, yeah. said, said something back to him, and I thought about it, and I actually, th- I think about it a lot now. I'm like, oh, they're right. They're right. Okay. Accept the responsibility, move on, and, and, and learn from that. I think that's what's so refreshing with you, Mayor, is the, you know, you're admitting to it right here on recording people can listen to this anytime and they can hear yeah i was a part of that divide i will admit that yeah. like you're admitting that and just it takes a lot of uh cojones you know to to say that or even earlier this year or last year i can't remember which but you said and it's on the record you can look it up in the daily journal said i'm to blame for the violence in yeah. kankakee like you 
said, I'm to blame. You said that at a meeting in front of yeah. the public. Well, it's it starts and stops with the mayor, right? So I can't I can't take all the accolades of all the good things that are happening and run on those. You also have to take the blame for all things that are not working. And that's why I said with the violence, I a lot of things are moving in the right direction. But this has been a bad year for, we'll call it murders, homicides, deaths. Not good in the city of Kankakee. Probably, probably one of the worst things that's happening since probably the 90s. And it's happened why I'm mayor. So I, I can't sit there and say, take all the pats on the backs and you're a great mayor and all this stuff if you also don't take the things that you aren't doing right. And so I have to take the blame. So now I have to change and figure out how to correct that. So, and that's what I said, is if you can't take criticism, if you can't take, acknowledge your failures, then you can't grow. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that I take from life. And so none of us are perfect. So I sat there and said is we'll, uh, we'll learn from the mistakes. <laughs> yeah. We'll learn and we'll move on. Did you think that you were going to win when you started your campaign? What were, what were your thoughts on that? Were you? Yes and no. So and I, that's, a, that's a horrible answer, but yeah. So I've always believed that I'm going to be successful at everything I do, okay? And that's, that's not true, right? There's going to be fair. But yes, if you don't have the attitude that you believe you're going to do it, if you can't dream it, it's never going to happen. So, um, Would you have continued as Sixth Ward Alderman if you didn't? Yes, it was, it was it was interesting because I ran on, I had to make a decision. I would have run for another term as six board alderman. Okay. If Even had, if Mayor Armstrong won, you would have still I couldn't. stayed. So that was what's interesting about my seat. So I had to make a choice. I was either okay. going to be mayor or alderman. I couldn't be both because my seat was up in 2021. Oh, okay. So I if, forgot about that. But let's just say my seat had been up in 2019 and it was the mayoral election. Then you could run... For mayor, and if he had lost, still been an alderman. So it was. Yeah, so it I was, was one or the so other. <laughs> I, I joked with people that I'm either going to be the mayor, or you're not. Or my golf game's going to get really good because I'm not even going to be an alderman anymore. So, yeah. so I was either in politics or I was out of politics. And so, do you, you know, think you would have? Let's say you didn't win the the mayoral race. Would you have taken some time off and then tried again for the mayor, or even just try to get back as alderman? No. No, no I think, think I would have completely stepped aside. You just would have been okay. Yep. I think I would have said I'm done, and I would have served in other capacities where it's boards and different things. But no, I wouldn't have. Uh, I don't think I would have gone back for an alderman seat or, or try again for mayor. It was a one or done. Back to your question, did I think I was going to yeah. win? Yeah, I always believe in anything I'm going to do that I'm going to be successful. With. So yes, I thought I would win. As the election, the three months out, yeah, you're you're you know I thought it'd be a very close election. I was very nervous, wasn't sure if I'd you know you just don't know. It's kind of like coaching cross country. I believe that, you know, we're going to be successful. We're going to, I'm, I'm dreaming some big things on that one, that we're going to do it. Will we pull it off? Time will determine that. Uh, but yes, I, I won't step into something if I don't think I can't do it or, or win at it. But I'm not arrogant enough to know, you know, I'm not arrogant enough to sit there and say that I'm unbeatable. You yeah. know, that there's no way I could lose. No, I, trust me, every night I sat there and said, boy, I don't know if we're going to win this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know till I remember it was the night of the election. It was 7.02. We're calculating numbers. We're trying to wait. And, okay, here they come. And person sat there, slammed the computer down and sat there and said, it's over. Okay, it's done. It is what it is now. Let's just wait for the results. At that point, I wasn't sure until some of the first numbers came in. And then, then the 
euphoria of knowing that the outcome was positive was a good thing. But yeah, I wouldn't have stepped up if I didn't think I could win. I was confident in that. And that sounds a little arrogant and egotistical, but if I had stepped up and said, I hope I can win, I don't well, think that's the right attitude. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I definitely, no, I don't take it as an arrogant yeah. way. What's a day like for you on average? How do you start your day? Meetings. <laughs> I've never realized there are so many meetings. So, But starts, coming from yeah. real estate, you have meetings all the time though, but right? They're, but they're different. Yeah. And what I mean by that is we go back to, we look at, we have meetings and they're quick. And what I mean by quick is I can make a phone call and sit there and say, I was looking at this building and I found out the price is going to be X and you want that extra dock, can you live without that extra dock? No, yes, we move on. It's a five-minute conversation. I'm finding in political government, it's almost a little bit of a, um, there is no five-minute phone call. Like this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's this okay. a five-minute yeah, five no. podcast. Um, there's, there's no five-minute meeting. There's no five-minute phone call. I'm learning that everything is at least 15 minutes a half hour, and that's fine, and I'm okay with it. It's just you just don't walk in and sit there, and you never sit down at a table and write out a box and go, okay, we're here to talk about your code ticket. Let's talk about it. Are we going to resolve this quickly and be in and out? I got a meeting in three minutes. Let's go on. No, you – there's some, hey, how was your Thanksgiving? How's things going? I know we're here to talk about the code ticket, but in the meantime – and everybody wants to know what's going on within city government. So everybody wants to have the inside track. So yeah. lots of meetings that go back to back for an hour. So how's the day start? Uh, I wake up. I wanted my day to start. I'd go into real estate office early and get a few things done there and then spend the whole day. But quite frankly, it's uh, I go into city hall and... What do you eat for breakfast? I don't What's eat, your favorite breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. You don't eat breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. Mayor, you can't do that. <laughs> I eat You got to have breakfast, or breakfast, man. And I'm not eating lunch very well either. So oh, that's, that's see, that, not good. That's, not you know, good. I, I guarantee if you start having breakfast, your day is your days are going to turn around, man. So You got to do that. So my do, biggest, do you drink coffee then in the morning or Coke? Coke. I know you love your Coca-Cola. Coke. Your I, do, Coke. I do not like coffee. I drink way too much Coca-Cola. That's Your dentist food. must love you, though. Oh, he loves me. Yeah. So <laughs> luckily, I go every six months for the teeth clean to scrape all that sugar off. So <laughs> my mind works too quick in the morning. So I wake up mm-hmm. and then I'm like, oh, I got to do this, 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 and this. And the biggest problem I have is I want to get 10 things done before 10 o'clock, and that's not possible. Yeah. That's um, my problem, too. Yeah. So you got to figure out what the run is. And then I find out is everybody schedules my meetings for me. So I, I look at my phone, and there's three or four meetings on there that I didn't even know I have that day. And so really being a mayor is the hardest part I'm having is I'll call it the, the doing the actual paperwork or the emails, a well thought out email. You're moving so quick is you, you should be reading an email. You don't need to read a, read a reply with a two page response, but a nice, well thought out three, four sentence email back to them. But instead it's like, I got to be somewhere at 10 o'clock. It's 9.52. Oh, I saw this. They need an answer. Yes, go ahead. Well, really, it should be a little bit more than that, and or l- looking at a document and reading it thoroughly and understanding what to do. So that all happens after hours now, or like a day like today I've talked about. I'll go in, the, the office is going to be closed, you'll sit at the desk, put the football game on, and spend some time getting caught up on the details. And it's it's basically, it's it's 12-hour days, um, if not longer, because then you got to be at all the other things, like the ribbon cuttings, the boards and agencies that want you to be at their dinners and galas, because it's... The whole mayor thing is a little different than Alderman that I didn't realize. It's, it's, um, I don't want to put it, it's, it's, I don't want to call it, but it's almost like the celebrity. Okay. 
everybody would like the mayor to be to there, be yeah to be at their event. Well, we we just saw each other the other day. You were at yeah. the welcome home Tyler Bailey yeah. parade, Officer Tyler yeah. Bailey. You were there. Yeah, that one I I felt like I had to be there for. Yeah, and that's because I remember getting the phone call that night. You know, that's the other thing. Being mayors, I get a lot of information before. Really, and you should, each mayor should, what's going on. I remember getting that phone call that night from our chief of police that it happened. And then you're up all night because you're just like, that was a devastating. So to know that he came home for Thanksgiving, that was a big deal too. I just had to be there for that. But there's certain things you, again, telling people, no, I can't be at everything. And that's that's hard because you feel bad that you can't be at everything. But you go to a function, let's just uh, say it's a... A chamber dinner event, okay, that's an hour and a half to our function, okay, and now the next thing you know, it's 7.30 at night and you still got work to do because part of the mayor is being at the events, being at every function, being at the meetings, uh, letting the people see that you care about the city. And it's not just, hey, I got to be here just so they see that. No, you really want to be there and care about and know what's going on in your community and you got to be everywhere as much as possible. So it's hard to get some of the detailed work done and that's got to happen at late at night, weekends. And all that. So a lot of people think of the city of Kankakee, the mayor's office. They think of a lot of people are working for you, but in fact, it's a very small office. I mean, you've got what just just an assistant, right? Yeah. So there is no. It's different than. Um, so Kankakee is a little different than all the other municipalities. If you think about, it, you've got uh, you got the mayors, and they have a full time village administrator. So the mayor is making decisions, driving that car, but that village administrators. We go back to that engine talk. They're running a day to day engine along with other people of the city. Kankakee is run by the mayor. There is no village administrator. There is no nothing there. The mayor is running the day-to-day business. And I do have an executive assistant, David Guzman, who is, uh, boy, he he fell into my lap and I don't know what I would do without him in that position. I got lucky. I I was really lucky to have him there because he does... uh, I always joke with everybody. I said, so this is David. He runs the city. I'm just a face. <laughs> so, um, but he handles all the phone calls. He sets my appointments. He does everything. But just basically, that's the mayor's office as the two of us. We do have a goal. I would like to change that to get something of like a, and I don't know what the proper name is, whether it's a chief of staff or a right-hand person that assists me, that you know, a lot of times there's events. There's three or four events going at the same time. I'm here on behalf of the mayor's office because, unfortunately, the mayor is at this event or whatever it might be. So so it is a little different in Kenki. The mayor's running everything day to day versus a village administrator running the other towns. And the mayor's there, don't get me wrong, they're making yeah. decisions, but they may not be there as much as a village administrator. So Yes. Yeah, you've got that extra. It's almost like a vice president kind of thing. Yeah. You know. So. somebody to help with that. But I guess I didn't answer your day. How's my day start? Yeah. I wake up. I don't yeah. eat breakfast. I Man. should. Um, I do try to get lunch. Um, but I sometimes do you work out? Do you, you know, running is my workout. Yeah. So, right. Cross country. Yeah. So, course, yeah. but now I'm done. So I'm not running anymore. So I got to get back into doing something. So that's a big deal for me. Just for the season, you mean you're not running or like yes. ever you can't run? No, I run. Uh, so oh, okay. with, we'll start in August or we'll start in, and we go through October. And so Again, I'm all in if I'm going to do something. So with cross country and the parents have bought in, which is great, but we're running six days a week. And so I'm there running with them. I didn't do it as much last year. And where are you coaching currently uh, during uh, Bourbon uh, Bourbonnais St. Paul's grade school. Okay. So, and we're, we've just kind of been really proud of, I think I've done it nine years now. So next year will be 10 years, but uh, my kids aren't there anymore. I started coaching because they were there, but I, I now tell everybody I live vicariously through the kids. I can't <laughs> do it as well as I used to. So I get great pride and enthusiasm watching them succeed. But in order to do that, you've got to work hard to do it. So 
So I run with them. I can't keep up with them, but I do run with them. <laughs> it keeps me in shape. And it, it's an outlet for me too. I try to put the phone away. It gives me an hour, hour and a half of just let's pay attention to them a little bit. If it was the season, you would be going for a run in the yeah. morning. Uh, no, actually it'd be afternoon. And, so we, oh, okay. a typical day, I'll just go, uh, I'd wake up, uh, I get in the office, I see what my schedule is for the day. A lot of meetings, trying to get things ready for upcoming city council genuines, talking to the legal team about outstanding ordinances and policies that we need, talking to the police chief uh, regularly, what happened the night before. I get the reports, want to see, hopefully not much happened. The city's always got a lot going on. It could be simple, simple burglary. It could be a car door left unlocked. It could be domestic, but there's always, there's a lot in the city that happens, a lot of phone calls. So I get that report early in the morning, look at it, see what I need to talk about. That's a major issue that maybe needs to get out to the media and the press, go through that. And then uh, lunchtime, trying to make sure I get something for lunch, but I skip that too. And in the afternoon, I do try to block out some time where I just sit at my desk and try to get caught up on some emails and some projects before I get back into some more meetings. When it's cross country season, I do take time. I do kick out for about an hour and a half, two hours it takes, and try to get to uh, coaching them, usually around somewhere around four o'clock to six o'clock and wrap around meetings. And then usually the night is there's always meetings going on. There's always a, we have two city council meetings. We have nine committees trying to get to those meetings. And even it's though I may lot. not partaking in it, those are at 5.30, they go till seven. Then you try to go back to your office and try to catch up on some more things. And then somewhere in there, I'm trying to fit some real estate in there too, a little bit oh every now gosh. and then. So, and then, uh, that's what I said. My wife is, she's an angel with it. So she <laughs> jokes and says, you know, you gonna be home for dinner or not? You know, if not, it's in the oven when you get home. So yeah. it's, it's good, but I enjoy it, but it's, it, it's a little wearing, but I do enjoy it. It, it keeps me going. So, you know, you've been in now, uh, as of we're recording this, it's been a year and a half. About that, quite, about, about, about 18, 19 months, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, we were talking before we were recording, you've got until 2025. What are your plans? I know public yeah. safety is a big one, but I know there's other things besides yeah. that as well. Right now, we just obviously came off the home roll. So that was a big, uh, that took a lot and that was a big victory there. Right now, we were dealing with the pension obligation bonds, and we've kind of got that behind us now right now. The tax levies are a big thing that we'll have in the month of December. But for right now, there's always something that keeps coming up here, but I will still say continuing to get our financials in the right direction. Basically, in my first 18 months, we had to get three audits done to get caught up, and we're working on that as we speak, and we should hopefully have that done by January. My next big one is continuing to strengthen our financials and in the code department. I think uh, we've got our code team fully staffed. For me, it's trying to understand how do we get it to be efficient and change the aesthetics of the city of Kankakee. So for, for me, it's we've always got to worry about the health and safety of the rentals and the businesses with the code department. But it's also for me, it's I just feel like a lot of people look at Kankakee and said, we don't have to cut our grass. Or we don't have to have overgrown trees and the fences. Or we don't have to pick up the garbage. Or we can we, we can put up signs everywhere. Uh, little things for me, I'll, I'll give a good example, was we just came out of election season. So it's been three weeks, Tuesday, be from election. And there's still political yard signs everywhere. Yes. Now, if you have them in your yard, that's up to you. But they were on the right-of-ways, pathways. So I did ask Wednesday before Thanksgiving, DPW said, I, I'm going to drive around and look today. I think they're mostly gone. I said, go around and pick them all up because they're going to sit there and then we're going to bury them in snow. And then they're going to be there in the spring when the snow melts. And I said, so it's it's little things that I think we have to make our town look extra special. 
we have to overcome that. And so code's a big deal with that, just having them see my vision and working on it. So that'll be a big initiative for me coming into the spring now that winter's here, making sure that that's good there. The other big initiative is, as I said, not only on the financial part, but is getting these abandoned homes that we've got. We've passed the ordinance where we can now give these away to people. We got to get that process going full steam. So those would be two big initiatives over the next 60 days. And I think that's taking care of the aesthetic appearance of the city of Kankakee. And then public safety. I mean, besides having more officers, what else do you do for public safety? I mean, how else do you, because I know that's always the biggest concern and that's always one of your biggest concerns and things that gets brought up and people ask you about. How do we stop these shootings? How do we stop the murders? So what's happening now and we're seeing it is they're solving, they're catching people that are doing the penalties. And I really think that's a big difference right now. And we're doing that with cameras. And it's not this big brother thing. We're not looking out. But here's the thing. You can't be everywhere when the stuff happens. But if there's a shooting at 1230 at night in a residential neighborhood, it's not like right now, you know, we're mid-afternoon here and, you know, there's 30 cars going up and down the street. It's probably two or three cars going up and down the street at 1230. Okay, why, if that shooting's there, we've narrowed our focus down into a red, blue, and a green car went by. Let's at least try to see if we can see who these three three vehicles were and ask why were you in this neighborhood at a particular time and solving and catching the people that are doing. Our detective teams have done an outstanding job of now solving. Everybody wants it to be solved like Chicago PD in one hour on a Wednesday night, right? <laughs> that doesn't happen. But they are solving. They solved, they solved a recent homicide from 2014. We solved... I shouldn't say solved. That's not the right. We've we've apprehended suspects, and they're innocent until proven guilty. But we've got solid leads on. Unfortunately, we had um, when I first came to office. One of the first things was we had a 13 year old that was murdered in the middle of the afternoon on a summer day. Was that the one on Station uh, Street? Uh, Merchant Street. Merchant Street. Merchant Street. They solved and found the suspect that they believed that did that. It took over a year to figure that out. But they caught that person. They've caught a few other people that have uh, done some of the shootings. They're also catching the people that are doing what I call, they're all not good crimes, but smaller crimes. And people are getting caught. That deters kind of back to the ATV. When you're caught, you start to talk around. There are people like, you know what? Kinky isn't a place you can go and just get away with it anymore. If I do something wrong in Kankakee, there's repercussions. And you have to have that. If your child at home sneaks out every night and doesn't get in trouble for it, they're going to continue to sneak out every night. If your child is watching TV all the time instead of doing their homework and they don't get in trouble for it, they're going to continue to do it. At a certain point, like they tell their brother, hey, don't, don't be watching TV. Mom and dad know that you didn't do your homework and I just, I just got in trouble. I can't go play at the playground for a week. So by catching and solving some of the crimes that are happening, it's getting out that it's not a free-for-all in Kankakee anymore, and that's one of the biggest things I say on a short-term basis. So we've implemented, there's a lot of uh, high-tech cameras that are within the city of Kinky to help with that, uh, solving some of that stuff. Again, it goes back to enabling our police force to do their job. We've given them the tools and the financial wherewithal to do whatever they need. Uh, we just bought some software um, that helps you when you have a phone it can download all the information. There's a lot of information in these phones that tell you where you were, what you did. I texted, it ties you to the crimes. And so this software we put in there, it was a, we partnered with the County of Kankakee on that so they can dump these phones at, instead of sending them to state that takes eight, 10 weeks to get something back. And then there's a long-term solution and that's um, 
continuing. This is Mayor Wells, Armstrong, Broad, and Kinky and I. We hired a violence prevention coordinator, and we're trying to get out to the youth now that, you know, sometimes you can identify that youth that can go one way or the other, and they just need, they need some support. They need to have the ability of, it could be as simple as, you know, I want to play football, but, but I can't afford it. I can't right? afford it. It costs I'm, so much to yeah. be in sports nowadays. Or I'm embarrassed that I'm going to go play in tennis shoes instead of cleats because I can't afford cleats. Well, maybe that's the difference of getting a pair of cleats on that young child so he'll play football or she'll play football and feel like they're part of it. You know, I'm part of the team. I'm not the oddball out there without cleats. I'm in playing in my tennis shoes and now they're going to make fun of me and now I'm going to get angry and I've got a beef and now I'm going to go take care of it some way. It could be those little things and identifying that finding out how we can help that person, that uh, the youth that is 8, 9, 10 before, even 12 years old, before they get to the stage where it's like, you know what, I'm not playing football, forget that, I'm going this direction, doing something else. Or I want to be in an after-school band program, but my mom or my dad works and I can't get there and I need some transfer. Those are the little things that we need to start trying to find out now, and we're working on those also. Those are the long-term solutions. We're not going to see those results for what I call a half a generation. It's going to take five, seven, 10 years before we know, is that working? Is there anything else that you want to make sure to get in here about yourself? Or I'm just, I'm grateful for all the hard work you do. I mean, it seems like everyone part of city council right now is just really getting along and working on the city's current issues and but working on the future and it's just really great to see uh, after the the turbulent years we've had as of late and i think we are citywide not just council-wide i really believe that's that's been my biggest initiative is to let people see me for who i am and that i do care i and that's all parts of the city and i have talked about there are i do believe that we've got to make bigger strides and more efforts in certain parts of our city because you can only raise the entire city up. You can't raise certain sections of it up. Everything's got to come together. So I think overall the city's feeling, you know, there's still, there's always negative things and, and downstrokes that aren't great and everything. But overall, I think there's more momentum than there is, you know, there's the, the song of one step forward, two steps back. I think we're doing it the other way. We're taking two steps forward, one step back. So we're at least making progress as we, as we go forward. And I, I'm seeing that in the city, at least I think I am. But again, I got to hear it from other people because they're going to tell me only what I want to hear. No one's going to come up and, you know, I think there are people that sit there and say, oh, he's doing a horrible job. I don't know. They're going to tell me that. So I got to have, I got to let somebody else tell me that. So, right. Yeah. uh, We'll get there. So no, just, I guess the last part is just, it's a lot, but I'm having fun with it. And I just continue to, uh, to do the things, I still I think me still doing real estate is good because it still allows me to bring in my negotiations and some different things that we're trying to bring in there and the coaching I I do because that's a break and uh, but I also think it brings some good things into the city. Also, I see some of the things that the the youth is going through, and so I'd like to get more involved with some of the youth programs because if you can see what I really believe, if you can see how the youth are acting then you know what the real problems are in the city because they, they, they give you the, you know, they tell you the truth. They really do. They give you the true eyesight of how, how you're moving forward. As adults, we keep things guarded to ourselves. We don't, you know, that's a great we thing. We don't easily let things yeah, out. It's a great yeah. thing about kids. They tell you exactly what's happening. <laughs> Sometimes it makes you blush. Sometimes you're like, I can't believe that just came out of their mouth. I'm like, but, yep. but you know what? You get a candid answer from a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, that's absolutely true. So. And I mean, you have an open door policy, 
people can always come to you with their thoughts, concerns, ideas, yeah, et cetera. I'm, I'm open, yeah. So sometimes, obviously, the door's closed because we're in meetings and sure. stuff. But uh, we had a great story the other day. Um, I was meeting with our HR director, I think it was Monday, because uh, that's our standing meeting. And came out of the door and opened up, and there was uh, this resident, and they had their, uh, I believe it was their grandchild in visiting up for Thanksgiving week. And I said, oh, okay, how can I help you guys? And I said, just wanted to meet the mayor. I'm like, really? And I, it made me feel good. You know? Oh, like, that's cool. I'm like, you've been waiting out here? Just, just uh, That's awesome. I said, well, come on in. Let's, let's, you know, get in the office. You ever been in the mayor's office? Let's take a look around and let's have some fun. So, yeah, try to, I've always said, if uh, we I try to get back and call people as quick as possible, want to stop in, that's not a problem. Obviously, if I'm in a meeting, you can't interrupt it, but we uh, try not to close the door to the, the office too often, so... Well, Mayor Chris Curtis of Kankakee, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. I uh, had an enjoyable afternoon. Oh, so good. I'm, I enjoyed it and looking forward to hopefully seeing a lot of the others. You said village presidents and mayors and all that. Yeah, um, I'm really— kind of a series here. I'm, I'm hoping— I'll be happy to that, encourage them to come this direction yeah, and Yeah, let them seat. know. Uh, right now, the I, I've uh, got Mayor Hodge of Hopkins Park, which we Excellent. talked a little bit about earlier. Yeah. He's in the pipeline, so and I'm sure yeah. the others will will follow in. Yeah, but absolutely. Hopefully. We'll guilt them into it one way or another. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I like that. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again to Kankakee Mayor Chris Curtis for taking time out of his busy schedule to be on Kankakee Podcast with us today. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. I should also mention there is a unedited, extended version of this episode available to our monthly patrons. Now, to unlock that version, you can go to kankakeepodcast.com click on the patron tab and even if you can't pledge the $20 per month to hear the extended versions of select episodes because the one with Mayor Curtis is not the only one that you'll have access to and let's say you can only pledge $1 a month that's totally okay it really does go a long way and it's truly appreciated so I'd like to thank our current patrons for helping make today's episode possible which includes Karen Bishop Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Don Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Kerry O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Carl Erps, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. Again, click on the patron tab at kankakeepodcast.com if you would like to make a monthly pledge to help keep the podcast going. I can't thank you enough for your support. Now, if you want to reach out to me with any questions or concerns, or maybe you're interested in being on the podcast or you have an idea for the podcast, my door is always open. You can always connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Kankakee Podcast. There is also a contact page at kankakeepodcast.com that you can drop me a line there. Our theme song was written and performed by Lupe Carroll and recorded by Daniel Bishop. Mm-hmm.